Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Graves, ex-Scotland International and adopted Frenchman, Johnny BT. And we're going to be joined shortly by Oyana, Scotland, British and Irish Lions prop, Rory Sutherland for a chat about Scotland, France, life in France generally, everything else. First, Johnny, we are recording on Pancake Day or Crepe Day. Is that a thing in France? Are we? I've skipped our house. Um, no, then. No, I had no idea. You're not having pancakes? For breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no? Mate, weirdly, our kids have become accustomed to porridge. We can't get them to eat anything <laughs> apart from porridge, which is very Scottish in the south of France. But, uh, mate, that's all we can get into our two boys in the morning. So, no, we had leftover pizza for lunch as well. So there's been no pancakes. It's almost a pancake, pizza, isn't it? Yeah, just, just stick two together, uh, pretty much. You? <laughs> we are having pancakes for tea, of course. We have pancakes on birthdays, pancakes. But, yeah, it's pancake day today in England. But is that not a thing in France? Do they not have pancake day because you just have crepes all the time no we must do just we've missed it i'll make a last minute suggestion dinner time they'll be on the menu just for you tim okay i'll try another one valentine's day tomorrow johnny that is a thing in france yeah or not in the bt household either (laughs) mate you've got me again um i did not even oh i'm in trouble um (laughs) i was looking at you for suggestions so no no, you've dropped my memory maybe she likes some pancakes um i don't know (laughs) Uh, but no, mate, I, again, crazy weekend, feet have just come back and hit the ground. So I hadn't even looked into the diary for this week. And mate, now you've got me a day's notice. Yeah, you got 12 hours for that. So you're fine. Which, which is more than normal. So it will be sorted by Valentine's Day. And I'm I'm guessing there'll be a big romantic gesture in the Groves household. We've got no childcare. So takeaway card. Mate, I'd love to be your Valentine. I'd bloody love a takeaway. I'll take that 100%. <laughs> We should move on to the Six Nations because we're absolutely useless on pancakes and Valentine's. But it, it wasn't a vintage weekend there either, was it really? I, I mean, it got off to a great start in round one. That was one of the poorer weekends we've seen, if we're being honest. Mm, yeah, the quality of the games wasn't as we'd have hoped. Ireland is played a bit one way. Ireland are very, very good. And I think that mm. just, it makes you realise as well, England sort of, you know, just beating Italy in Italy, Italy looking rejuvenated. Kind of makes you realise how big the gap is at the minute between Ireland and the rest. Um, they are very, very good, efficient, horrible to play against and ruthless, which they were in Dublin. Um, and yeah, England-Wales, not the most inspirational game. Again, atmosphere, good. Rivalry, good. But quality of the game, probably not up there. And we're not going to talk about 
Scotland against France, so we can skip that one. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the next round, hoping for, for better quality, but still, you know, a bit of drama. Before we come to the controversy, which we will, even if you don't necessarily want to, England-Wales, you have sort of been critical of England. Other people have been a bit more positive about the way they're trying to play. But the game generally... A third of the rooks were under three seconds. And normally for good teams, you're looking at sort of two thirds. Like For Ireland. Well, for Ireland, yeah. But normally for France in the past, but not for England, Wales. It, there's nothing to worry, presumably, for France about facing those two sides in rounds four and five. Or do you think they'll be better come then? I don't know, mate. Like, I think France have got more, I mean, maybe not looking at the opposition, but there's the specific elements of the opposition that I'd be very worried about if I were France at the minute. The French line-out? I mean, mm. new coach come in, Semperé, they lost seven, I think, against Ireland. Against Scotland, I think they managed to get four of their own throw-ins back, but they were crap quality. Grant Gilchrist stole the red. Like, I mean, Toji and the boys will pick them apart. So, I mean, they have to get their fundamentals correct and give themselves a foothold and a chance in the game before thinking about, you know, multi-phase and strategy and tactics. Like, they can't even get the... The fundamentals correct. So I'd say on that level and what they've shown, I know they won at Murrayfield, um, but I would still be looking to get my own house in order and trying to play properly because the Frenchies, they haven't got out of second, third gear yet. Let's be honest. I mean, they've won that game at Murrayfield, but they weren't good and they got away with it at the end, which I'm sure we'll come to in a minute. But yeah, I think the French team that went there and put 50 past England, that that is not the same side anymore. There's too much moving behind the scenes and too much has to settle. And it has to settle very quickly for them to get back to that level. So um, I don't think those will be easy games as much as England are going through transition, Wales, a lot of youngsters, very different side. But France in their own way are going through their transition and it, it's not easy to watch. A lot of chat about Laws at the weekend and we'll come on to Murrayfield in a minute. But on the George Ford one, do you have a view? Had he started his approach? I mean, he hadn't, start, he hadn't started his run-up. He was adjusting his feet to get into his position to then start his run-up. There was no, well, I mean, there's a side movement, but it's not a movement towards the ball to start his routine. He's simply getting into position to start his routine. So Yeah, the law states that you your approach, well, it says in any direction. And then I suppose you could say there were, well, some will have timed it, six seconds, eight seconds between the fact that he stood there, then he moved to one side. But again, it's sort of open to debate, I suppose, isn't it? Interpretation of the referee, again, mm. important this weekend um, in many different games. But um no, I mean, I don't think he started it. And he still had, what, 35 seconds left on the clock? Um, so not like there was a time pressure. Um, so no, I thought that was an interesting one. Again, it'll be... But this is what the rules are there for, right? And we'll, we'll pick through all the different... But the players adapt, coaches analyze situations, they see opportunities, and then you have to change the rule because people have been smart and they've adapted to those rules. So um, yeah, I thought that was quite harsh on George Ford. I mean, they went on to win the game anyway, so it didn't matter. Um, but another game, it could have been crucial. And generally, Murrayfield, good weekend, apart from the controversy at the end. Basta, everything go down well in corporate? Um, it always goes well in corporate. Basta, Philippe Santandre, Damian Shuley, Serge Betson, Jason White, good to catch up with him, Johnny Barkley, um, old teammates. So that aspect, the social aspect of being a former player and going back to the stadium chatting rubbish I mean some of the stories that you go back and you you pick up with a brawl between Sail Sharks and Glasgow Warriors a long time ago oh yeah Jason White at the heart of that was he? no in fact it no? was a misunderstanding in that Jace actually <laughs> he had a knee injury at the time and he was sort of play fighting with one of the Scottish boys 
then like the, there was a misunderstanding between the English Prem boys and the French boys and like big old brawl broke out. So we're laughing about that now. And Felix Saint Andre was chuckling about um dealing with that with the following week, but we're going back 10, 15 years now. So like these little bits, good to catch up. People have a laugh. Obviously disappointing game, but the social aspect, as always, the weekend, brilliant. Okay, we can't put it off anymore. Should it have been a try for Sam Skinner at the end or not? Um, I mean, it all comes down to the wording from the refs, doesn't it? Yeah. And Scotland have lost the game on a linguistic technicality, which is pretty hard to digest, I would say. Um, and you could see, like, we had the earpieces in and you could see the live reaction of, we're sat next to, like, commentary box. So BBC sat in between Gregor Townsend's team and the French team. And you can hear as the words come out, you know, I think you can award the try. And he's like, well, is there, is there clear evidence that I can award this try? Well, hold on, let me just check. But clearly the ball's grounded. And Nigel Owens, who's with us on the BBC team, explained to everyone afterwards, there is a next step. You can say, is it a try? Yes or no. And that then overrides everything that's happening on field. So the fact that he's asked for, is there something to make me change my on-field decision? There's something clear, glaring, is there evidence? I think everyone saw the ball was down, but can you see whitewash? Can you have clear video evidence? No. So on that, they refused it. But if you were to change the wording, as Nigel said, and say, look, simply, is it a try, yes or no? I think they'd awarded the try. So mate, disappointing way to end the game. Incredible for Scotland to get themselves back into that position as well. Finn Russell come around that rock and causing absolute havoc. Um, but neither side played particularly well. I don't think either side particularly proud of the performance. The Frenchies get to tick that box. They get a win. But they weren't inspired, were they? It wasn't a decent performance. And Scotland, they got themselves into that ping pong. They didn't have to score points. They were happy playing kick tennis in the middle of the field. And that was one of the weirdest things that I've commented on as a broadcaster is 10 minutes in the middle of a test match where there's nothing happening. And you can tell the stadium's getting restless. You can tell everyone's getting bored. And so, yeah, I think that rule will be changed or has been enacted, I think, in Super Rugby already this morning. So... Yeah. And that one's going to get changed. The George Ford one's probably going to change. And the language for, as we have in rugby league, is it a try, yes or no? Let's just speed this up. Um, so I think those three different things off the back of this weekend will all be analysed. So I think everyone agrees that the DuPont law, as people are calling it at the moment. It's terrible. It's terrible. Because again, like the game, what you want is you want people under stress, physically exhausted, creating more space on the field. But if you can just sit in backfield and play ping pong and everyone in the middle has a rest, that's not doing anything for anybody. Like It's called the Dupont rule because, again, he's been smart. He's realized that if you let somebody take five meters or five steps, and he can go and get charged. That's an opportunity. But you're rewarded, yes, for your smarts, but also for your laziness. And rugby has always been a sport about grafting, work rate, outworking the opposition. And that's just one example of it's a smart adaptation to the rule, but it does nothing for the fan, does nothing for the neutral. I still think they need to go one step further because if they just say everyone has to retreat until they're put back on side, I think what we're going to see is just people kicking out for touch. People will refuse to keep the ball on the field or we'll just see loads more lineouts, which again are slow. So there has to be some sort of tweak to allow people to play a territory battle, but to force everyone to, to retreat. And then maybe we might see some more counterattack. That would be the, the good positive. But I think in the first instance, with coaches wanting pragmatism and security, you'll just see people kicking more for touch, which isn't great. So there's a general consensus about that one. The approach to the kick one has already been tweaked, might be tweaked again. But interesting, your thoughts there on the Sam Skinner incident at the end, because that's something that we've seen hundreds of times before in terms of the language used and therefore that affecting the outcome. It's just this incident is right at the end of a game. 
affects the outcome on a massive stage in the Six Nations. So you really think that that is going to be changed as a result of that with the Skinner law? I think that we might see referees be more direct in the language. And we hear Scotland are trying to seek an admission of an error from World Rugby. I mean, is that just something that happens behind the scenes? You can't achieve anything with that, can you? I'm not going to get any game match points back, so I don't really know what they stand to gain apart from a a moral victory that counts for absolutely nothing less. Um, You've had a lot of them in Scotland, haven't you? So sorry, I shouldn't say oh, that. Oh, mate, that's low. That is low. Um, no, you're right, I have. We were absolutely dreadful. Um, yeah, I don't know what they stand to gain from that, apart from, yeah, no, nothing's coming back. They're not going to get any Six Nations points, so the game's not going to be replayed. So I don't know what they're up to, um, but they obviously feel it's necessary and the right thing to do. We'll chat to Rory when he comes on about the Scotland angle and what he thought about it all. But from a France point of view, you've mentioned there are lots of things they need to sort out. They have looked off it. Obviously, there was the red card against Ireland, the fact that Ireland are a, a brilliant side, and there's probably, certainly on the coaching side, a lot more cohesion in Ireland than there is in France. But is it is it over the top to be really critical of France? Say they've fallen off it completely, there's a World Cup hangover, or is that kind of accurate? Mate, they're not fun to watch at the minute, but speaking to the boys afterwards, like they've still got six or seven of the front team out, don't they? We, like, if you look through it, like Julian Marchand's just coming back to fitness. He had the bit between his teeth. So first choice hooker, probably not there. Both second rows, not there. Greg Aldrett, now injured. Anthony Gelanche, not there. Um, by second rows, I meant Miafu and Flamand. Your halfbacks aren't there. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're pretty much missing the heartbeat of your team. It's also a testament to the French side how much depth they have that they can stick out a second team and compete in international rugby. But they reckon they've still got a lot of talent to come back. The bit that I'm really struggling with is the inability to adapt to the new coaches. So the fact that their line-out is an absolute champ, like it's an embar- their line-out is embarrassing. And that they then do not have anything to launch with or offer their back line anything to launch with of quality. So you've got Maxime Lucou and Mathieu Jalibert that are getting assassinated in French press, but they don't have any ball. They don't have any quality ball. I mean, Mathieu Jalibert, yeah, defensively fell off a few things, but they're not giving them a platform. Um, so I'm really struggling with the quality of the work of the pack, um, given Semperi had decent credibility, um, a pack that operated at a high level of Stade Francais. I mean, they're just as bad defensively as they are offensively. You can see the way they defend as a mirror line out. So they just mirror what you try and do, which is, I mean, it's no accountability. There's no system. It's just, just copy what they're doing in front of you and jump and get in the way. But up against high-end lineouts, you come nowhere near. So they're not disrupting any opposition ball. They're not winning any of their own ball. And without that, like the chance of you winning a game fall off the edge of a cliff. So once those things go, there's clearly no confidence. They don't get any continuity or any go forward. And it's hard. Like it's hard graft. Um, and so what you're stringing together is elements of a sort of pro de deux quality outfit at international level and they're getting shown up um, and it's not like Scotland had to have an ultra creative like we didn't say Finn Russell Leo Messi equivalent on Saturday did we like it was a very minimalist wet day simple game plan kick the ball back to France put them in trouble and try and ask them to play from deep um, and that was all Scotland had to do and weirdly like I think Scotland would have won that game if they'd taken the three points just before half time when Antonio picked up that yellow card I think that would have been the difference of the game but they opted to go for the scrum penalty against and France stay in the game so I think for the French boys they'll realise that they're going through a difficult period this is a phase of transition it isn't going to be easy um, and they're going to have to really work 
quickly with their forwards coach to become better if they're going to compete and be effective in the latter half of this competition. So it's not been easy to watch and knowing a few of them has been really difficult, but I still think a lot better, like having shown what they've been capable of over the past three, four seasons, they will definitely be better, but they have to gel and fast. And on the flip side, they have had their toughest two fixtures. If you look at the way the table was last year, the sort of consistency over the last year or so, Scotland away is a tough game and Ireland, wherever you play them, is a tough game. So you could certainly make a case that the easiest three fixtures are to come. They've got a two-week break to work together to fix those things. It starts with the basics. We, we discussed this last week. It does. And they've got 19 people withheld from club rugby this weekend. So they'll all be back in camp trying to get better with their drill, trying to go through walkthroughs, rehearsals, get their lineup up to scratch and be better for the next time they come together. And that's all that you can ask. And like you said, they've had one very difficult game to start. Scotland, a slightly easier game. They've come away, they've nicked a win. So they're still in the championship. You don't know what's going to happen. Ireland still are the favourites at this stage because they've been mightily impressive. But um, yeah, you got to hope for the French that are let's just say it's a fresh start. They've got to build through this competition and finish on a high because what they've shown so far has been disappointing. And for French rugby public, who've been used to a team operating at a very high level, they feel that they deserve better. And I guarantee the French boys feel that they deserve to be playing better as a group too. Right, no top 14 action at the weekend. We've already mentioned it, not a vintage weekend of Six Nations action. So this will be interesting. What's your meet moment of the week, Johnny? Under 20s, mate. Oh, there we go. Something to talk about. A ray of shining light of hope, enthusiasm, <laughs> youth, all of it, you name it. Um, mate, it was very nearly Italy. And I'm going to pick Italy anyway. They they lost mm. to Ireland 23-22 in the end. They were winning until four minutes from the end. But they've absolutely hosed England, Scotland, Wales, and others in the past two, three under-26 Nations tournaments. But here they came really close to winning. And Dublin, as I said, winning four minutes until the end. They were passionate, clinical, well-organized, difficult to break down, mate, their scrum. Ireland had to refuse scrums throughout the game because Italy were so dominant. Marius Gallerini, their tight head, is an absolute monster. Not sure if you've seen him before, but mm. they've mullered every other single pack in the comp over the past two, three years. And Marcos Salabrin, six foot four winger, two tries, an assist, a try saver. He's a freak show as well. So the future is bright. It was difficult for them in Dublin for the seniors, but the under-20s, a one-point loss. They were exceptional and the Grand Slam's still on for Ireland, but I'm giving it to Italy under 20s, mate. Been really impressed with them over the past few years. They're getting better and they've already unearthed two or three absolute rock stars that are going to be quickly fast-tracked to the big boys. There we go. That was Johnny's meter moment of the week and meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer. Recently making over 20 million cooks better the game-changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue, in the oven or in a pan. And you can get your hands on one at meter.com. Plus, you can get 10% off any full price item. All you have to do is enter the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout. That's FRENCHPOD10. And you'll get 10% off any full price item at meter.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Let's get our guest on now then, and we can get his take on Scotland France at the weekend, as well as chatting generally about life in France. Oina, Scotland, and British and Irish Lions prop, Rory Sutherland joins us. How you doing? Good. How are you? All good? We are good. We were chatting about the controversy at the weekend, so we better get your view. Should it have been a try at the end for Sam Skinner? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I've been uh, yeah. The boys have been on the wind up about it this week as well um, in France, but me that it was it was a try. Yeah, and in, in my opinion, yes, it was. In my humble opinion, it was a it was a try. As a player, look, Johnny was saying that the law needs changing in terms of kind of the linguistics about it, because obviously, if the ref asks a different question, you get a different outcome. They looked the the, the bit I didn't understand and you would have been so frustrated on the pitch is they showed the same clip twice and the TMO says, okay, you can award the try. And then just before he's awarded the try, he said, hang on, hang on, we need to look at another angle. And they played the same clip another 10 times. And you can clearly see the ball moving from the boot to the, to the grass. And the law states all the ball has to do is touch a blade of grass. I don't, I, I don't understand. I have a good time. I don't know if you'd be able to see it here. I have a good picture on my phone. <laughs> Is this doing the rounds on your WhatsApp groups? Yeah, this doing way? the rounds on WhatsApp, yeah. I don't know if you can see that. But that looks conclusive. It's a still, but it looks conclusive, Johnny. Yeah, how can you argue with that? And again, going back to linguistics, like my point was, if the referee just says, you know, if, if you remove the, is there a reason to overturn my decision? Is there conclusive evidence to simply... Is it a try? Yes or no? Yeah. And then it's given. And I'm like you, the fact that they were humming and hawing, well, you can now award the try. Well, hold on. Let me just check my check. Yeah. Let me just check my, you're like, come on. He said, oh, we need to look at another angle. He, he played the same, he played the same clip over and over and over again. And so what's it been like for you in the club since? Because I'm there watching at the stage, like we're doing broadcast and commentary, but we're mixed in among all the French boys and the French boys after us, like, that's a robbery. It's clear as day. You go away from the stadium, all the French fans are like, look, we weren't good. I don't know how we've won that, but we've come away with a win. But it must have been a little bit more harsh in the club. You at Oyana, the only Scottish boy in the club. Surely you've been getting it over the past <laughs> few days. Yeah, no, the boys have been uh, the boys have been going hard. Joe actually, it was the first thing Joe said in the, the team meeting on the Monday. Rory, what do you think about the, the thing? And all the boys started laughing. But yeah, no, very frustrating. I feel sorry for the boys because they they deserved that win on on Saturday. They played well. I think they dominated eighty percent of that match. 
the boys definitely deserved the win. Very frustrating for them. I want your take on the penalty just before halftime. So Antonio's just been yellow carded. You've got a chance to knock over three, but they go for the scrum. Where's your head at? I'm like, if you take that three points, the game's near enough done. And I couldn't understand the process of going for a scrum. What did you make of it? For me, if you're if you're gonna do that at the end of a second half, you have to be dominating in the scrum. And I don't I don't feel like we were. I'm not saying the boys didn't have a a, a decent day in the scrum. It, it went okay, but we weren't by any means dominant or dominant enough in this in the first half to say right and be confident enough to make that decision and say right okay we're gonna go for for a scrum here. I would have been whispering to Finn saying. Take the points, mate. Please don't make me scrum yeah. again. Just take the yeah. three points. Please don't make me scrum against Antonio again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At times as well, I've scrummed against um, the big fella quite a few times. Antonio, sorry. And uh, he's a very difficult person. He's obviously a really big man, but he's quite good at if, if, you, if he doesn't get the hit on you, you sort of get the hit on him. He's very good at taking it to deck. And not going backwards, so I think that's uh, yeah. He's he's a very difficult person to scrummage, and I thought I thought Scoomies did a did a great job against him at the weekend. Um, kept it up, and but yeah, like I say, you have to be a bit more dominant to be making that call. You'd, I mean, we if you go into the changing rooms at half time, and the team has to get more than a converted try. To, to be beating you, I think it changes your mentality when you run out in the second half. Not that you can run out relaxed. You obviously have to be, you know, have that mentality where it's back to nil-nil. But I think it gives you that that bit of breathing room and that bit of freedom, you know, to, to go out and express yourself a bit more in the second half. Start the second half with a bang, feeling confident. But yeah, you know, Finn's a great captain. I was, you know, Finn did a lot of, uh, he had a lot to do with the leadership when, when he wasn't captain you know, last year, when I was involved, I'm sure his thinking was was right. He just didn't didn't pan out the way he wanted it to. And especially because Scotland, over the past sort of year or two, have been really good in the second half. It's been the first half where they've struggled to kind of start games, and often they've been behind at halftime and have been have been coming from behind later on in games. Obviously, last week we saw the opposite. They had a storming first half against Wales and then perhaps yeah. took their foot off the gas a bit. So is that spoken about in camp, the fact that Scotland have been playing in, in spells a little bit and it's almost like a, that 80-minute performance has been quite tricky to put together? Yeah, and I think that's been our Achilles heel for a long time. I think Johnny will agree when, when he played, you would probably start well or finish well. You would never sort of put the put the whole thing together. I think a big thing that's helped Scotland, especially in the past four or five years, is the the fitness. Our fitness prevails in that last sort of twenty minutes in in most games, where we'll we'll run teams very close, if not beat them, in that last twenty minutes. Um, and you know, it's something we've worked on. It's something that we pride ourselves on, or we we did pride ourselves upon until the till the World Cup. Obviously, not involved. Um, this time, I don't know what Gregor's thinking is, but I would imagine it'll be pretty similar. But yeah, I would say we're we're a very fit team and I think it's difficult for teams in that last 20 minutes. But yeah, like we say, it's putting that, it's putting that whole, uh, the whole picture together and putting that performance on for that 80 minutes. Are you missing it, Suz? Because obviously, part of the World Cup, move to France, all you know, like 
different club, different backdrop to come to and play and then not involved in Six Nations. So how are you as a spectator? I know that I was absolutely rubbish. I'm still pretty poor and I don't enjoy watching it because you've got no control. And you probably feel like if you had that run of games, you'd be there, you'd be fighting for a starting jersey because you're clearly good enough. So I'm guessing you must be missing it. It's obviously frustrating and it's it, it's very hard you take that phone call and they say, you you know, you're being left out this time and, you know, oh, we believe in you, we think you can come back and blah, blah, blah. And you think, well, if you fucking, you know, if you believe in me. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very frustrating and yeah, I'm not very good at watching. And I'm, I'm you know what, I'm actually, the, the, work, the bit I hate the most is the anthem. Really? Because... I really enjoy that part of playing for Scotland is singing the anthem with the lads. It's very, you know, it's a very emotional part of the game. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that. So I find it difficult watching the the boys singing that when when I'm not there. I often leave the room. I go up, go, I go off with my with my beer and, and half in the kitchen while the while the boys sing the anthem. <laughs> <laughs> So Gregor has been in touch then. He's he's touched base. He said, you were in our thoughts, but it's not this time. Yeah. He just said, look, we, he just said you haven't played enough. And when you have played, we haven't seen you at your best, which is fair enough. Like, I think like a lot of foreigners that come over to France, you're a bit like a deer in the headlights in your first couple of games. Um, and I did feel like that. So, look, ugh, I understand. There's no point throwing the bloody toys out the pram and it's like I say, it's it's frustrating and yes, I was pissed off for a couple of days, but get over it. It's tough to get your head down and try and get as many minutes as you can in the tank and hopefully hope that the coaches think that that's enough to get back in. But yeah, I, I'm not getting a lot of love from the coaches at Oyana at the, at the minute either. So I'm stuck between a bloody rock and a hard place, but it is what it is. It's never bloody guaranteed, is it? No, and you have to be philosophical because... Like when you've played, you've been top class. You've been, you've reached the absolute top of the game, British and Irish Lion. And then some strange things have happened, like club moves, things happening in the Prem, back yeah. in Edinburgh, and then you've ended up at Oyuna. And it's a tricky place to be in, right? You've got one of the co-captains plays your, your spot. So it was always going to be difficult, but nothing lasts forever. You're still young enough, you're passionate, you've got all the physical qualities and attributes that you'll ping back. And before you know it, you'll be... Maybe not scrummage against Antonio because he might be retiring, but you'd be scrumming against <laughs> next year. There's a great chance you might be starting against France. Like that's how cyclical rugby is. And that's really how weird. Is. And it's it's how bizarre our situation is or can be as well with a with with a 12-month contract or a joker, you find yourself somewhere that you maybe didn't think you would be. But you know that if you graft, you'll be back and you'll be at the top of the game before you know it. Um mate, so weirdly looking back at that time, like how did the move to Oina come about? Because it's been a random two, three seasons for you. Yeah, it has. Um, I think a lot of people have, a lot of people that I've spoken to, have have said the same thing: is why, why, why did you choose Oyana? Um, and if I'm honest, it, at the World Cup was it was it was such a stressful time for me and uh, and the family, wondering, am I going to have to retire after the World Cup? Because sure as hell, I wasn't going to go and do amateur rugby. Um, I had nothing. A lot of teams would say, "Yeah, we're interested." Um, you know, that's really good. Your opportunity to get to get them to the club and whatever, and then you wouldn't hear from anyone for two or three weeks, and or you wouldn't hear again from anyone at all. Um, and we did have, towards the end of the World Cup, 
my agent, he done a great job. Like we had sort of five five or six teams all all talking to us and they were really keen. And right after the Ireland game, Oyana were one of the ones that came in straight away and just said, Yeah, we'll we'll take him if he wants to come. There's your offer. And we were we were happy with it. And again, it hasn't worked out for me um for you know Tammy and I and the kids, um, we did all want to come out together and experience it together, but we've struggled to find a house, which is so bloody strange. You would think there would be something, but oh God, we looked like an 80 kilometer radius around and there was absolutely nothing. No, no houses whatsoever. Uh, so we sort of, we left it for Christmas and we said, yeah, we'll look again after I managed to get home for a week at Christmas. And then when I came back, I says, right, we'll, we'll have a good look. January ended, February started, and we just said, look, we'll, we'll just leave it. We're not going to upset the, the boys and take them out of school and change their schooling and stuff for the sake of four months. And now that the Glasgow thing um, is done as well, I think that's pretty pretty happy just to sort of battle in for the next three or four months and me go back and forward, have Tammy and the kids come out. So, yeah. And I guess for people that don't know, like, Oyana is probably the smallest town on the top 14 chart. So population yes. maybe 20-odd thousand people. If that, yeah. yeah. It's t- I remember being at Cast with like Joel Abt and Christoph Urios. Those boys came down and they were like, holy, mo-. like Cast is like Las Vegas. Yeah. There's, 30, there's 35 people in Cast. It's absolutely tiny and there's not much going on. And for and for them, it was like the bright lights of, like Oyana is small. And in terms of the housing, like you mentioned it, for a lot of people, it's secondary housing, it's ski season, there's there's yeah. not much. So it must have been quite a strange few months for you. Oh, is, and look, mate, I, I'm obviously, I'm a guy from the borders. I come from a small place myself in Scotland, so it's not alien to me to come somewhere like this and it's quiet. And I think it would have been a great place for us as a family. I think it would have been really good for the kids. There's plenty to do outdoors. Some beautiful lakes. you got Lake Janine, uh, Nantua. You know, there's there's a lot of beautiful uh, places around and nice places to go and visit, get out for the day. But yeah, it can get a bit it can get a bit boring when you're in the house on your own and nothing to do. And as a player, it's very different if you've signed a three year deal compared to if you signed a one year deal. So that obviously plays into it. And you're Johnny mentioned it, your experience at, at Worcester, which we won't go back over, and then signing a short term deal at Ulster, then a one year deal at, at Oina. It's completely different if you sign a three year deal. Then you look for a house, you can rent, you move the whole family over there. Security, everyone understands that. Yes. But now you're looking back, having secured your future for next season. How do you look back on this period of a couple of years? Do you sort of see the benefits of of having experienced different cultures, different playing environments, and sort of managing to take a few bits? Or do you just see it as being a really stressful period from a family perspective, as you mentioned, and kind of being glad to be done with it and moving on next year? I mean, it's it's been a, an emotional roller coaster, and I think. We just touched on there. If you're a single guy, I think it would have been, yeah, you could probably look at it as a a great experience. And don't get me wrong, I've really enjoyed experiencing different um, teams, different players, different cultures, like you say. But when you have a young family, it's about giving them an experience and giving them a good experience. And I think over the last two years, it hasn't been a good experience for them. It's been me showing up for a weekend or 
or a, a week or two and then leaving again and them not knowing when I'm going to come back or them not knowing when they're going to come out and see me. I've found that very difficult. My wife's found it difficult. The kids have obviously found it very hard. So I think that's the, the biggest thing for me is I would have liked to have given the, the kids an experience somewhere where we could have said, right, we're going for two years or we're going for three years, we're going to move you out. And we could have we could have done that with, you know, with Mason and Hamish. We could have taken them to Ireland. We could have, you know, moved them over here. But it's, it's short term. And when, when we moved to Worcester, it was a it was a big deal for us, you know, moving the, the whole family down. Mason and Hamish had started school in Scotland. So it was a big move for them to then go and move down to Worcester. And it's, it's hard to explain what bloody happened at Worcester, but what we went through, fucking hell. But going from you going to Worcester every day, sitting in a meeting in the morning, going, oh, we'll be fine, lads. It's okay. We just need to get through this. We just need to keep playing. Let's forget about everything else. The club's not going to fold to... We wake up one day morning. One Monday morning, we get a phone call, and they say, "Don't bother coming in. It's done. Club's folded." Right? Okay. What's the next step? Ah, oh, Ulster wants you. Right? Okay. Move to Ireland. Go to Ireland. Do we bring the? Do I bring Tammy and the kids? Do we do that? Do we move them again? And you know, they've only been at that school for a year. Do we move them to Ireland and risk having to move again? And I think now looking back, it is definitely the right decision for them for their schooling. It's it's a lot of moving around, so. Yeah, it's been a very difficult couple of years. And mate, you're about to give them a trip to one of the best cities in the whole world, Glasgow, on a more prominent <laughs> basis. I still absolutely love that. But when you look back, and again, it hasn't been easy, but when you look back at the games that you have played and the, and the way you have featured in the top 14, what have you enjoyed? Like coming up against some of the best scrummagers in the world, different types of challenge. What have you enjoyed and who have you enjoyed coming up, coming up against in France? I think the say the most I've, I've enjoyed in France is is the is the squad of boys there. They've got a really good group of group of people. There's a lot of good foreign lads there as well. Same as me. Some guys fluent. Some guys terrible like me. But, uh, that's been a, a really good experience for me. Is seeing how how they get on and uh, it, it is it is very different. But what I will say in in France, like the the rugby is the rugby is is very different, and it's a hard thing to explain. Did you do you feel like you experienced that when you moved? Oh, mate, it was completely different. So, like uh, from Scotland at the time that I played for Scotland and for Glasgow, it was all about culture. It was all about environment. It was all about working hard. Yeah, it was about all the that stuff. And then the rugby wasn't very good. Whereas, I, like my first club was Montpellier, and the rugby was phenomenal with Fabian Galti, and, and none of the culture environment stuff mattered. You just went out, and the rugby was amazing, and you won games, and then it was like club rugby. You just went out and celebrated it after the game. So it was that mix, and then every other club. Not that it was less serious, but I don't know. I just like Scotland can be quite. Everyone's quite hard and hard on each other, and quite yes, a wee bit, a wee bit boring. And I just enjoyed the colour of France and people being different and the personalities and the crowds and the food and the different towns you visited. I, I enjoyed that um, and that's why I've never left. So it's very different, but it's hard to articulate. Or even it sometimes is. like the, the detail's not the same sometimes, but there's enough natural talent that they get back. Like all these different things and just the perception, the way the game's looked at and followed by 
players, supporters, and even the setup to the the background of presidents and the way clubs are funded compared to like federation run teams like in Ireland, like or in Scotland. Um, so it's completely different, um, and it's difficult to explain and put your finger on it. But it was great fun. That I look back and I just had so much fun, way more fun than I had when I was playing for Glasgow or Scotland. I'm really really enjoying that side of it. It's a much more it's a much more relaxed environment. And like you say, it's more, I think in a way, Scotland, do we deserve, do we deserve that? The way that, the way that we go on, we probably do because we're a nation that should have been successful for years now and we haven't. And again, can't put my finger on why we, we haven't been, but we've had so many good players come into Scotland over the past 10 years. We've had awesome teams on paper and we've just never, never quite clicked. And I think now we're start like now we've started to do that over the past sort of four or five years, I would say. Become a more successful team and started winning more consistently, beating good teams. But in France it's yeah, it's a bit more relaxed. It's more the the training. I would say you could add another two or three years onto your career with the training. Training is much more relaxed, a lot like a lot a lot easier uh most days. But as long as you turn up on the for the game and play well they seem to be happy so how, how have you been enjoying joe so joe was my defense coach joe l abd who played for bristol played for toulon then he was my forwards coach at cast and oyan asked his first real gig as a head coach so how how's joe getting on as a head coach good i would say i mean i've obviously never experienced him as as an assistant coach before um only as as a head coach but obviously i haven't played as much as as much as i would have liked and obviously there's a spanner thrown in the works there. Tommy's uh, one of the the co-captains at the club, so that's quite hard. But no, I would say, look, he's he's a he's a fair man. He's he's given me, you know, he's given me a lot of time to go home and see the family. He's been very understanding around that because when I came out, that was promised. You know, I said I don't want to come out without the family, and you know, he said, don't worry, we'll we'll find the house, and we haven't. So he has been very good that way. He's let me get back to see Tammy and the kids quite a lot, and he's at me every week. You know, if, how are you getting on? Are you okay without them being here? And if you need to talk, the doors open. And no, he's he's uh, he's he's been good to me. Obviously, we've we've talked about the upheaval, and and these are the things that you know Johnny and I have spoken about before. But people don't talk about them in professional sport. We talk about athletes as just sort of you sign this deal, you go here, you go there. But there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that happen. And if you go even further back, you've obviously experienced all this from an injury perspective as well. And we yeah. know the end of that story or the middle bit where you come back, you play for the Lions and all is good, but you must sit here now with such a sense of perspective that certain other players maybe don't have who have, have not experienced the things that you've experienced at Worcester and with the injury and stuff, because there was a time in your career before the British and Irish Lions that you would have been thinking, I might have to retire. Yeah. When I went through that period of time, uh, being injured, I was out for about 14 months. I had the first operation and every specialist I've seen after it just said, forget about rugby, you're done. Like, you need to think about your quality of life. That first operation failed with a bad infection and they had to go in again. And that was me. I was obviously in a really bad place and thinking, well, if the first one was a definite no, then the second one's going to be even worse. But I had a really good group of people around me at the time obviously family like my, my wife was amazing but the physios and the, the doctors at Edinburgh at the time were really good and very supportive 
where they said, look, it, you know, they were they reassured me every day. Like the, the specialists have to say that to you. They have to give you the worst and blah, blah, blah. But let's not give up yet. Let's see how it recovers and we can come back and take it slow. So we did and took a lot of very small baby steps, but managed to get back playing again. And I think even not the injury, like I... I had kids young. I had my first son when when I was 20 years old. So that puts a whole new perspective on your life, never mind rugby. And that happened before I turned professional. So I think, yes, throughout my career, I've definitely had a a different perspective um, on rugby than than a, a lot of people here, definitely. And that must have made getting selected for Scotland, then for the British and Irish Lions, even more special. Like... Even the fact that your that your kids are young and they'll remember it and they yeah. have those memories, but having gone through what you had been through and a horrific injury to have come back and then had that take off in your career where you lifted off and you exploded onto the scene, it must have been tremendous to live. I think that <clears throat> that made the the lines to it even harder for me because my wife and kids fuck I put them through hell with that with that injury, like. My wife is getting up in the morning and dealing with two kids and then helping me get out of bed into this bloody chair with wheels on it and wheeling me through the bloody living room. So for her not to be able to be a part of the, the Lions tour and the kids as well was was quite difficult for me. And I, I resent I resent that fact, like I, I resent COVID, I resent that time because it could have been so much more for them. They couldn't be a part of it. They came and like, the way it fucking turned out as well, where the first game was at Murrayfield, like how how perfect is that? You probably know. I don't even know if that's ever happened before for an, for another Scotsman that's played for the, the Lions to have their their very first cap at Murrayfield. You know, the whole family could have been there, and they weren't. There was only I think I had my wife, my mum, my dad, and after that match, couldn't go and embrace them. I couldn't go and enjoy the moment with them we had to stand and the you know that astroturf bit at, at, outside the tunnel at murrayfield and they were 15 rows back just standing you know and, and we were obviously talking we were crying we were and it was fucking yeah that was hard and I, I i think about that a lot i think about that moment a lot and and what it could have been and i know hindsight's a wonderful thing and a lot of people do that about a lot of things in their life but that moment really fucking bugs me. It's making me a bit emotional now. Does it drive you on as well? Because I, I know you were at the World Cup and and you will have got to have shared that a bit more. But the Lions was the I mean, the Lions is the pinnacle for for any British and Irish rugby player yeah. to to not get that. But you've obviously got another one in a couple of years' time. You've got other things with Scotland and on on a club side of things. Do you kind of use that as a as a motivation to think I'm still young? I know I've experienced a lot in my career, but I, I want to do this to to experience that with my kids and with my partner. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to start playing again and playing well back in the Scotland squad, and that'd be amazing to do to do another tour. And it is a like it is a goal of mine. I'm a bit weird that way where. If a coach says you're not good enough and you're not going to play, I it really fuels me, and I think that it's put the firework up my ass that I need for next season. I'm probably not going to play a lot in like the, the rest of this season from what sort of went on um, so far. I'm 
guessing I'm not going to play much. So that's given me the kick up the arse I need to, you know, for next season. And I do aspire to play for Scotland again. I do want to do that. So I think um, moving back home and moving to Glasgow is the the right. It's not only the right thing for my career; it's the right thing for the family as well. We won't have to move from the from our family home back in the borders. I'll just commute. It gives the kids a bit of stability, and I think that'll that'll do me a lot of good as well for my rugby. Going in every day, I don't have that worry. I don't I don't have that horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach where I think I wish I'd saw Tammy and the kids before I left this morning. That'd be a big thing for me is knowing they're okay, knowing they're happy. I think that'll do a lot for my rugby. And also you, mate, as well, the settler for you, but then going into an environment that you know, that you're used to, you know if you play and you will play, that's why they've taken you back in an environment you're going to be looked after. You got, I don't know if it's too late, but there's a summer tour to North America, yeah. South America this summer, then you're going to have autumn tests that will run. Like We know how quickly rugby flows oh, and how quickly... So that's it. Before you know it, you're going to be back playing for Glasgow, living in the borders... And in my opinion, pretty quickly back in the international fold as well, which I'm looking forward to seeing. So, mate, delighted for you. Delighted for the move as well. But I think more so for you, it's getting back that closeness with the family and onwards and upwards. Deco, Deco used to say this thing to me and it, it stuck with me for a long time and it's so true. He say, one day rooster, next day feather duster. I don't know how many times that has happened to me in my career. And like you say, it's so fickle. You go here to here to here to here to here to here. And you can go like that your whole career. You know, you, I've went four years now without being in, involved with Scotland, come off the back of a World Cup, and then haven't played, not involved, just like that. So it's a strange game we play in. Alistair Dickinson, he's, he's a philosophical man, an old roommate of mine as well. And he was always like, see these fuckers that have it easy. And they're just, they're always picked and they're always playing. He's like, <laughs> they want to, they, they'll never, but then, and like, he's true. Like you have to have the highs and lows. And I've always thought that the people, the people that just have live in a straight line, it's not character building. You don't build resilience. You don't go through tough and tough times make tough people. Right. So like yeah. having appreciated those highs and lows, horrific injuries, selection, non-selection, darting around clubs, and then going back to what will be a secure place for your family. Like, you know how much that'll mean to you and how much it'll help you kick on as well. Back to your game time, back in an environment that you know and can cherish and kick on. But yeah, Dicko, he's a man of few words, but always very well chosen. Yeah, I like Dicko. He was great for me at the, the start of my career. Um, when I first joined Edinburgh, he was fucking brilliant. Such a good lad, he's a good laugh and so, like, so approachable. I could ask him anything and he would take the time to show me or if I wanted to do extras at the end of training, I was that annoying fucking asshole in the academy that was hanging off the hanging off the old boys saying, oh, I need oh, I want to do this after training, I want to do it, I want to do that, I want to come home, we'll stay for ten minutes. And he always done it. He never 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 batted an eyelid. He just done it, got on with it and he's uh, he's a good lad, good guy. And now you'll be going back and offering the same to all the youngsters at Glasgow. Oh fuck I know. <laughs> <laughs> Dick was actually the he's a scrum coach now at uh, at Glasgow, so I'm looking forward to working with him again. It'll be good. And when we've talked about the injuries, we've talked about the what happened at Worcester. During those periods, have you been uh, perhaps forced more than other players as well to contemplate what life after rugby will be like? Are you the kind of guy that that thinks that you'd want to follow Dicko and become a, a coach? No, definitely not. When I'm when I'm done with rugby, 
as a player, I think I would like to be done with rugby altogether. I'll say that. Probably not. I, I would quite like, I've dabbled in and out of uh, coaching my son when I've been home. So my son, my oldest son, Mason, he's in primary seven. And my middle child, Hamish, he's in primary four, primary three, sorry. And I've been back and forward coaching them and I've quite enjoyed it. And it's, it's very rewarding because you forget when you're at that age, you don't have a, you don't have a fucking clue. And there's, there's so many rules in rugby that you have to learn. So spending three or four weeks with them and learning them the basics and hammering it and then watching them go to a tournament and you see them doing all those things, it's very rewarding. So I think uh, that might be a, a route that I'll go, I'll go down. Well, in rugby anyway, is uh, coaching the kids. I would quite like to, I'd quite like to do that. But I know what life's like outside of rugby. I've experienced it. I'm a fully qualified engineer. I worked, I left school when I was 15 to do an engineering apprenticeship became fully qualified 21 at 20 sorry and i worked until i was 21 um and then got picked up by edinburgh so i've been in the big bad world and all it's like (laughs) hopefully a good few years before that anyway let's focus back on the top 14 just for a couple of minutes before we let you go away at toulouse this weekend so that's easy right i think the 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 goal for us this season is to is to stay up that's the the goal. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how that happens. We we want to stay up, and I think we've done very well coming up from from Pro D two. We've beaten a lot of a good teams. We've had a couple of good away wins, but our biggest letdown is our discipline. Our discipline's awful, and you can't. You know, when you're trying to win games, you're trying to scrape games. You know, if you're coming to the end and it's close, and we have been close in a hell of a lot of games, you can't be giving away fifteen to twenty penalties a game. You're just not going to win. We're suffocating ourselves that way. But like I say, I think we've done very well. We've beaten a lot of good teams. So the focus this week here is is discipline. Keep the penalty count low. Back to basics. Nothing daft. Um, and I think we'll be okay. Like there's no there's no getting away from like Toulouse or a in world class outfit. They're a very good team. So go down there and put our best performance out. It's going to be a real scrap at the end of the season, isn't it, Jelly? We talk about it every week. The top end of the table is always close, but that bottom end just looks... It's not going to be fun from the inside, but from the outside, it's going to be fun to watch the relegation battle in the top 14 this season, Jelly. I know, I know. We have to like, we have to win our home games. That's the, that's the be-all and end-all. We have to win our home games. And the away trips are... The way trips are tough in, in France. Especially for all you know, you're miles away, aren't you? You're bussing everywhere. Yeah, we bus it everywhere. And I'm not used to that. And I think that is, that's a huge advantage in France. Without like guys that have done it their whole life and don't know any different, they maybe don't realise how much of a disadvantage that is when you get on a bus and sit for sometimes it's eight or nine hours. And some of the hotels you stay in are fucking awful. Like you're on a bloody camp bed. So yeah, I think it's a huge, huge advantage being being at home, and we have to target those home games. And we have spoken about it a little bit, Johnny, but that is a huge disadvantage for Oyna when it comes to away games as well, because a lot of the other teams are dotted around the south of France. Yeah, it's a yeah. big advantage for your home games, but weirdly, it was harder to come to Oyna because you used to have a field that was horrendous. Mm-hmm. So in winter, it was a total shit fight sometimes 12-hour bus trip to get there and people just wouldn't get off the bus. Whereas now you've got synthetic pitch, which is really nice to play on. It's quick. Like you can play good quality up, which doesn't make it 
easy it makes it easier for other sides that come and have like decent quality attacking players but like looking around like around the sort of basement around you so Montpellier are still down on 20 you guys are on 22 points Leon 24 Perpignan 26 Bayon 28 who do you think is most likely to finish rock bottom you know what, mate? I'm not. I'm not a player that pays attention. Have like I know where we are on the table, but I'm not a player that pays heavy attention to that sort of stuff. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. So would you say Perpignan then? Cool. <laughs> a- anyone apart from Moyna for you? Yeah, I'm one. I'm not one. You know, you get those guys, and they're always bloody looking at the looking at the table and watching how other teams are are getting. I'm not really like that. I, I'm more focused on myself and. My own team, but if we can sort our if we can sort our shit out with with discipline, stop giving away so many silly penalties in games. I think we'll be okay. I think we'll survive in the the top fourteen, and I think we deserve to as well. Like the boys, like I say, the boys have done a hell of a job coming up from Pro D two, um, and we've done really well this year. A couple of good, like I say, a couple of good away wins and good wins at home. We've run some big teams very close. I think the boys. That are staying at the club and going forward. I think they definitely deserve that. They're a good, good group of lads. Well, Rory, thanks so much for coming on and good luck for the games you do play between now and the end of the season. And we look forward to seeing you back in Glasgow in a more stable, settled environment in the summer. <laughs> thanks, lads. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers, pal. Catch you soon. Good to speak to you. See you. Cheers. Bye. Rory, obviously not confident there, Johnny, that he's going to play too much between now and the end of the season. But clearly a guy after what he's been through that has a real perspective on life and where rugby sits in it. He has been through a lot, mate. And he spoke with admirable candor as well. So fair play to him for coming on because it hasn't been easy. And he has been through some tough shit, injuries, club closures, having to come to oil last minute, it not work, the co-club captain playing his position, international rugby, not getting picked up. Like, But he is one hell of a player. He's 29. He is top class. And you can tell he's hungry. So yeah, looking forward to him getting back to Scotland, back to Glasgow. And yeah, really looking forward to seeing him back playing for Scotland because he's a nuggety hard loose head. He's strong as well. I, I, I'm not sure if that comes across, but he's probably one of the strongest athletes we've produced in a long time. And it's been a difficult few years. So yeah, fair play to him for coming on. Obviously it hasn't been easy. And really looking forward to seeing him kick on um, in a blue shirt because he's top class. Yeah, and we often talk positively about life in France and and how it's a great place to be, but it isn't like that for everyone. And he acknowledged it there. It might have been for him if he'd signed a two or a three-year deal. When you sign, well, it was less than a year at Ulster, you know what happened at Worcester. When he signs a one-year deal at Oina, it's tricky. And then to to hear about the things that happen behind the scenes for an athlete in professional sport, people don't talk about that enough, the mental side of things, the family side of things. And regardless of what you think as a fan on the outside, it's good to hear someone talk about the reality. Exactly. And it has been various different elements of circumstance that had made it a difficult few years. But like we said, like tough times make hard people. And he's a hardy boy with a big heart. Um, And that's where he will appreciate getting that time back. I mean, we take it for granted, don't we? And that doesn't happen to athletes anywhere. But the fact he's had to live separately in a different country to Oyana, which is not a place that's well connected. You have to go to, I think, Geneva's the nearest airport. Um, can't have been easy for him or his family. So really, really appreciate him coming on, giving us his time and, and talking us through up because 
people generally don't open up with those types of subjects. So, um, so well done him. We'll chat a lot more about Six Nations and France and selection next week, obviously. The top 14 is back this weekend, though, Johnny. I don't know what you think. I was looking at the fixtures, and it's known for home wins, the top 14. I reckon seven out of seven home wins this week. What do you think? Get your accumulator on, mate. <laughs> Get down to the bookies. Uh, I don't know. La Rochelle, away to Lyon. I think La Rochelle could do a job there. Uh, Racing are home to Montpellier, but Montpellier are sort of picking things back up. They are desperate for wins. It's a carpet in Racing, which means you never know what's going to happen. Toulouse, yes, home to Oyonna. Stade Francais, favourites home to Perpignan. Bordeaux, favourites home to Pau. Bayonne, Clermont's another one, in that Bayonne have kind of been stuttering. Um, another big one is cast at home to Toulon on Sunday night, which Toulon need points, desperate, under pressure, so you never know. So mate, I'm, I'm, I'll give you, most sides, home sides are favourites, but there's two or three there that are interesting and could go either way. So looking forward to those. I'm looking forward to the top 14 being back this weekend. There's always a shock or two in gambling's a mugs game anyway, Johnny. So no, no acker. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> thanks, Johnny. A massive thanks to Rory Sutherland for joining us. And thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can. Check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, Johnny. Cheers, mate. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>